Good morning. Please open your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5 and stand with me for God's Word. It's a privilege to preach the Word of God. And I want to thank you for putting yourself under the teaching of God's Word. And last week we looked at being the salt of the earth. And today I want us to take a look at being the light of the world. And what does it mean that Christians are the light of the world? What does it mean to let our light shine? What does it mean? How can we be effective as lights out in the world? So we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we again acknowledge that you have given us your word. It is from you. It is completely true and It changes us. You use it to change us. And our prayer today, Lord, is that you would do that once again. Uh, Do what only you can do. Do a miracle in our lives, Lord, to change us more into the people you want us to be. uh, All for your purposes, all for your glory, all that you would be honored. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Scripture... Mankind is portrayed as entirely corrupt. Depraved is the operative word. Totally and utterly depraved. That mankind is not as bad as he could be, but is moving steadily in that direction. It's a basic truth known intuitively by all people. The human condition common to all. And you see it throughout Scripture. You see it before the flood in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 12 when God looked on the earth and it was corrupt and all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. You see it after the flood in Genesis 8 21 the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. You see it in the days of Job in chapter 15 it says man who drinks iniquity like water. You see it in the days of David. In Psalm 14, the Lord looked to see if there were any who seek after God. They've all turned aside, the psalmist says. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You see it in the days of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, people, speaking of people weighed down with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers, sons who've acted corruptly. You see it in the days of Paul. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. You see it in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we formerly lived, those who are believers. But due to the fall, mankind is under a curse. Destined to decay 
and to decline even further into spiritual darkness. Created in the image of God, he fell, resulting in spiritual death. Fell into sin, resulting in a state of spiritual death and inability uh, to live spiritually. And now all people need a spiritual birth for salvation. Jesus spoke of that spiritual birth in John chapter 3. He said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. But to the reality of sin, God brought forth his own remedy. God promised a deliverer who would pay the cost to purchase freedom for prisoners to sin. Held by its power, subject to its penalty. Because of his love, he transferred them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy. Well, in God's perfect time, a deliverer came, sent by the Father, God incarnate, God in the flesh. He gathered disciples and he taught them. He taught them. Exhibit A, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, Jesus, seeing the crowds, went up on a mountain and he sat down. He assumed the role, the posture of a teacher and his disciples came to him to learn. Disciples came to him to be taught. And in verse 2, we read that Jesus taught them. Jesus opened his mouth and began to teach. He taught his disciples, those who had made a commitment to him as Messiah at that point in time. In contrast to the crowds who were curious, who were even amazed at Jesus' teaching, but who remained neutral, who remained uncommitted to him. You see evidence of mankind's condition in, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. People who would persecute those who follow Jesus. That they would insult them to their faces. That they would slander them behind their backs. That they would harm their bodies because of Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples very personally in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you. Blessed are you when that happens. And he is speaking to any who would follow after him. All who would buy into his program. All who would give up claims of ownership of their own lives. Because in the Beatitudes, Jesus is describing the character of those who believe. Christ's followers. See, only they inherit the kingdom of God. Only they receive God's mercy and comfort because of their sin. Only they are satisfied with His righteousness, His perfect righteousness. Only they will see God and be called sons of God. So in the Beatitudes, what you have is Jesus describing what His disciples were and believers today are by virtue of their relationship to Him. We've seen that as we've gone through the Beatitudes. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount is application of those truths. What follows immediately are two illustrations. Christians being salt and light. You see, there was a human element to God's remedy to the sin problem. 
In Matthew chapter 5 and verses 14 through 16, we see the plan, the potential problem, as well as the purpose of us being salt and light in the world. So what's the plan according to this passage? Look at verse 14. Matthew 5 and verse 14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. God wants his people to be an influence. God wants his people to influence and impact lives for the gospel. An active influence in the world for God and good. Because Jesus, as he was speaking these words, he knew that he would provide a way of complete and eternal salvation from sin and death and hell by God's grace alone. That it would be received as a gift from God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, secured eternally in Christ for those who believe. That's what Jesus knew he had come to earth to do. But he also knew that he was going to use those he saved, the redeemed, to send the message. That their lives and their words would point others to Jesus. He puts into his service every person who comes to him by faith. Those he redeems, those he saves, those he transforms, he sends as change agents back into the world that he saved them out of. That's why you see people right away after they come to faith in Christ wanting to tell people about their love for Jesus and what he's done for them. That's why back in 1982, as a second-year college student, when I came to faith in Christ, I, I had immediately an intense desire to share Jesus with people. Anyone and, any, anyone and everyone I could meet. Someone asked me once, what would, what would you do if you could do anything? And I said, tell people about Jesus. What else would I want to do? Because Jesus had changed my life. So you have these salt and light metaphors. Salt and light metaphors give us a picture of what it means to be a Christian living in whatever society and whatever context we live. Salt and light were not new concepts to the Jews. We looked at salt in detail last week, but salt back then was much more valuable than it is today. In fact, at one point in Greek history, salt's name meant divine. The Romans said nothing was more valuable than salt except for the sun. Soldiers were often paid in salt. It's where the expression not worth his salt comes from. And they'd learned to think in terms of light. Light for the world that was a common expression in Judaism. It, uh, it predated Jesus saying this. In Judaism, it was used of high priests. It was used of Abraham. It was used of the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And it was also used for Israel, comparing them to the sun and its brightness. And the Old Testament often used light imagery, a picture of God being light, that God's servant, the Messiah, would serve as a light to the nations. A light to the nations. We're sending a, a team to Nicaragua tonight. Pastor Ed was just telling me that uh, another team had gone before them. 
Another team had gone before them and built some houses and a hundred people have come to faith in Christ already. God is, is gathering a harvest and the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the only Savior, the light to the nations, is drawing people to himself using human instrumentality. Using people like the men we're sending out today. Using people like you and me in the places in which we live and work and play. And God's servant would serve as a light to the nations to open the eyes of the blind. To bring prisoners out of dungeons. Psalm 36 and verse 9, David said, With you, O Lord, is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. God is the author of light. So Jesus uses these two metaphors, salt and light, to describe what Christians are. We saw it in in verse 13, that salt is good. But Jesus said salt can become tasteless. Good for nothing except to be walked on. He may have been referring to rocks that contained salt in those days. And the meat was packed in them to preserve the meat. And after a time, the salt leached out of the rocks. And the rocks were thrown out. No longer useful, just thrown on the ground. Trampled. But Jesus' followers are to influence the world preventing decay, creating a thirst for God. A thirst for who He is. Now the light metaphor also relates to influence, but salt and light work differently. They're different things. Salt works internally, working its way into a context. Light works externally. Comes from the outside in. Shines on something. Light uh, works invisibly. You can't see it, but you can taste it. Light works visibly. You can see it. See, salt is hidden within something. Again, you can taste it, but you can't see it. But light is obvious. Light is conspicuous. It can't be hidden. Salt works secretly. Light operates openly. Salt is our character. It's who we are. It's revealed in our living. Light is our actions. Light is our words, revealed in what we say and do. Light shows the way in a dark place. One little light in a pitch black room can bring light to that room. It won't stub your toe. Light dispels darkness. Morning light chases the darkness away. I love morning light. Usually I'm up before dark and, and in, our, in my study and I, and I open the, the blinds of the window because I can't wait till the first rays of sunshine um, come from the east. I love that time. I love the time of light dispelling the darkness. It flees. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill can't be hidden it cannot be hidden see light draws attention cities in bible times were often made of white limestone 
A city built on a hill would reflect the sun's rays, enabling you to see it from far away during the day, miles away. At night, it mirrored the moonlight and the the lit lamps in the city, a beacon for travelers who were trying to find their way on the way to the city. But Christ's followers today should be visible, seen. The weary travelers in Bible times would be comforted by the sight of a city, promising rest, promising refreshment and safety. Christians can give hope and direction to people in the world today. Notice that Jesus didn't say he was salt. He said, you're the salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world. But he also said he's the light of the world. He's the light. In John chapter 1. We read of this light. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, we read that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, did not understand it. You could also take that to mean that the darkness did not overpower it. Jesus is the light. Verse 9 of John chapter 1 says, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, speaking of Jesus, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. He shined his light on them, because they would accept the light. See, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, in John chapter 8, and verse 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the true light. Jesus substituted himself for us. He took our place. He died for our sins. He bore our sins on his body on the cross. He's the true light coming into the world that enlightens. He is the light. So how can we be the light? He says, you're the light of the world. He's speaking to his followers. In what way are we the light? We reflect his light. We are not the source. We reflect. We reflect his light. The Jews claim to have God's light. They claim to be a light to the nations. But they ignored and rejected his light so they could not be his light. See, if you reject the true light, you reject the word of God. And if you reject the word of God, you reject Jesus. And if you reject Jesus, you reject a relationship with God. The Jews thought they were guides to the blind. 
a light to those in darkness. Paul said they were blind guides and lamps without light. Unlit lamps. Believers, on the other hand, shine like stars. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, luminaries, stars. We shine like stars that reflect another light. In Matthew 5 and verse 14, you is in the plural. It's his whole body. It's Christ's whole body. All believers. His church working together is salt and light. So that each individual, each household, each local assembly throughout the world are salt and light. Christ living in us makes a difference in the world. Christ living in us makes a difference. To God's plan before the foundation of the world was to send a Redeemer, the Messiah, to secure salvation and then in turn send out His messengers. That He would use His redeemed people to influence other people. Christ's followers are supposed to prevent decay and illumine the darkness of the world. We're His tools. We're God's instruments. We're God's tools to reach people destined for a Christless eternity bound for hell. That's the plan, according to Jesus. But there is a potential problem. A possible failure to communicate the gospel effectively. A possible failure to communicate. Hidden light is a problem. Look at verse 15. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or a bushel, about a two-gallon container. The only reason you would do that is to snuff out the light. Okay? No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. You don't turn on the lights to cover them up. That, that's ridiculous. One of my kids the other day, it was yesterday, was playing with the lights, on, off, on, off, on, off. I said, stop that! You're wasting electricity. You don't turn on the lights to cover them up. And we know where we live, that's a waste of money. The electric cost that we pay. See, if light isn't wanted, you don't turn them on. Right? Christ lit us to give light to the world. To give light to all we come in contact with. And see, God arranges 
conspicuous placement. You don't put a light just over in the corner if you want to light the whole room. God arranges conspicuous placement for us in all the places that he sends us, all the places we operate. A typical lamp in Bible times was a a small earthenware vessel filled with oil with a wick. It gave a very modest light. It was not a mag light. It wasn't a spotlight. It was a small lamp. Homes in those days were usually one-roomed places. And so one lamp could light that one room But you wouldn't keep it in the corner or on the floor even. You would put it on a stand so that it would give a light to the whole house. Placed on a stand to maximize the light's effectiveness. In Jesus' day, there were a lot of religious groups. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Zealots, there were also the Essenes. The Essenes were a monastic uh, community that called themselves the Sons of Light. Sons of Light. Self proclaimed. Whenever there's a self proclamation, you always got to wonder. You've got to be a little suspicious. They called themselves the Sons of Light, but they did not live up to their name. They hid out from the world, they went out into the wilderness. And isolated. They didn't shine light on anyone. They didn't live up to their name. They withdrew from the world. Maybe Jesus was looking at them when he said this. Well, Christians today are in danger of doing the same thing. Not living up to our name. Not living up to uh, our intended purpose. How do we do that? What do we do? We hide the light. Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and then, and then hide it. But we hide the light whenever we operate out of fear rather than faith. When I'm more worried about what people think about me than about what they think of Jesus, I hide the light. When earthly comfort is more important than their eternal destiny, When my earthly comfort is more important than the eternal destiny of my next door neighbor. We hide the light. We also block the light. We obscure it. We we hinder it from shining when we operate out of selfishness. We're naturally selfish. It comes easy to us. We compromise our convictions under a guise of relevancy. When we act maybe just to get attention, want to be the life of the party... Or we abdicate our role and assume and assimilate into the culture to the point that there's no observable difference between us and the rest of the world. I'm just trying to explain what's here. Jesus said, you don't light a lamp and hide it. You don't do it. See, a city on a hill can't be hidden. Jesus doesn't have secret followers. It's interesting, I was thinking that people who who know me out there 
may sometimes be surprised that I'm up here. People who know you out there may be surprised to learn that you're in here. You know what I'm talking about. We sing that we, that we resolve to know Jesus Christ and nothing else. We sang it this morning. We, we resolve to say that we, know, we want to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But we have also bought into the idea that to get people to listen to the gospel, we've got to somehow manipulate things and trick them into hearing it. Even to pretend we're something we're not. Then people will be open to believing. See, we don't need to be salespeople with the gospel. God wants us to simply be appropriately relevant in the settings in which we go. People know when we're faking it. People know when we're not being who we are. Be yourself and trust God as you interact with people. And take the gospel with you. Don't leave that home. 1 Peter chapter 2. There are some instructions for those who would follow. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may account, they may because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, we live in a world of conflicting worldviews uh, and contra- contrasting worldviews. The distinction between us and the world uh, is supposed to be evident. Now, salt is needed in the world, and light is needed in the world, essential for the well-being of society. But when society goes bad, we throw up our hands in horror, and we condemn the, the unbelieving world. Oh, bad world. Well, don't blame people for doing what they can only do when they're under the curse of sin. The question to ask is, where's the salt to arrest the decay? Where's the salt to create that thirst? See, when Christians are conscientious citizens, we act like salt in the community. And we need to be more courageous, not less, in speaking against anti-Christian things in our society. Standards slide due to no Christians stepping up and speaking out. Due to Christians not wanting to make a scene. Not wanting to be a spectacle. Well, Paul said we are a spectacle to the world. So where's the salt? And where's the light to show the way? Let's ask that question. See, we're not to reflect the world. We are not to reflect the world. We're to influence the world. We're to be influencers. We're not to let the world push us into its mold. We're to be spiritual leaders in our contexts, 
not followers. Spiritual leaders. Sometimes we're always waiting for someone else to to lead. God has given us the privilege wherever he has placed us. God has given you the extreme privilege wherever he has placed you. In your home, in your office, on your block, in your classroom, on the playing field. Those of us that are born again believers in Jesus, that have, that have come to faith in Christ, God has given us the extreme privilege, honor, to shine in the world with the light of the gospel. Not to hide it, not to be ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. You ever wonder why people don't believe the good news about Jesus? Ever wonder about that? Well, first of all, if they, if they don't hear it, they can't believe it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Say, well, I've, I've known these people for years and they've never come to faith in Christ. Have you ever shared your faith in Christ with them? Now, it could be that you have shared with them over and over again, and still they won't believe. But that's the second thing. Some people will, will always keep hearing and not believe. And only God knows why, and only God knows who. But we can't be secret followers of Jesus, only revealing our identity when it's safe, like here at church. It's in our mission fields that God wants us to be lovingly bold with the gospel. In those homes and in those neighborhoods and in those classrooms and in those offices and on those playing fields. See, we come together, when we come together, we come together to recharge. We come together to reignite in worship of God, reigniting for service, and then to go out to shine like stars. We gather to worship and exalt God and we scatter to do the same in such a way that they would see and believe. See, the light isn't supposed to be clumped together all the time. Little huddles. We aren't supposed to hide out. We're supposed to shine brightly in a dark world. How do we do that? How do we do that? 1 John chapter 1. 1 John in chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But... If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Keep yourself unstained from the world. That's how you do it. Speak the truth in love. That's how you do it. Maintain a healthy home life. That's how we do it. Settle differences according to the word of God. That's how we do it. We don't engage in worldly fights. That's how we do it. We exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. 
God doing that. We be people of prayer. We depend on God. We are confident in, in Him and who He is and what He can do. And we engage people around us in conversation and relationship that point them to Jesus. We don't hit them over the head with it every time we see them. God wants us to be appropriately relevant. Appropriate interaction. Not caustic. You know, a big, a big beam of light can blind you. A, a light shining in your eyes as you're driving down the, the highway is annoying. We're not to be caustic, but we're not to be too comfy with the world either. We're not to be isolationists, and we're not to assimilate completely. We're to, to redemptively interact with others. To interact with others in such a way that they would see and hear of Christ in us, our hope of glory. A lamp in those days would only light a room with a small circle of light. Its intent was not to shine a beam of light on any one object, but to give of itself in all directions so that the immediate environment was lit. It was a very simple thing. One room, one lamp, light dis- um, um, going in all directions. See, in the same way, our purpose is not to be a floodlight. A beam of light, again, can be very annoying. We're not to highlight ourselves. In fact, when you're standing in front of a big spotlight and you stand in front of it, what do people see but you? The outline of you, right? We're to offer insight to everyone we know regarding what life really is like in Christ. And the purpose is that God would be glorified. The purpose would, is, the goal is God's glory. Look at verse 16. Let your light so shine, so as compared to hiding or hindering the light, let it shine. Let it shine in such a way, don't block it, so that they will see your good works, your beautiful works, it literally means beautiful, and glorify or praise God. Glorify doxoxo means to esteem glorious, to, to lift high. As we're placed conspicuously in all the places that God puts us, he wants us not clumped together in a huddle all the time, but spread out evenly for maximum effectiveness, The connection between light and good works is like this. Our behavior, our character, our attitudes should back up our proclaiming the gospel message in words. Should not pull the rug out from under our words. So that things that reflect holiness and grace and the love of God, they will stand in direct contrast to the darkness of of greed and self-indulgence and violence that's so prevalent in the world. It will be different and look different. 
Now, when we speak of God's glory, we need to consider two facets. The first is God's holiness in and of himself, who he is and how he does things. In, in, in Exodus 24, it says that the glory of God rested on, on Mount Sinai. And it said that to the eyes of the sons of Israel, it was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. It was his Shekinah glory. It was God's glory, his, the external manifestation of his intrinsic holiness, who he is. But that's not the glory that's being spoken of here. The glory that is being spoken of here is this, that God would be accurately recognized, portrayed, and acknowledged by other people. That how accurately we represent God, who he is, his nature, his character, his attributes, and how he does things, his ways, glorify him. He, would, he is glorified when he is accurately revealed and portrayed. That's what Jesus is referring to here. So what does it mean that they would glorify God? That they would see your good works and glorify God. Does it mean that they would just think God is cool? Or that we are? Or they would just say, ah, that's neat. Praise God. And then walk away? And not believe? Is that what it means? No. Uh, interestingly, it says that they would glorify your Father who is in heaven. The very same uh, opening words of the Lord's Prayer. Of acknowledging who God is. That they would acknowledge who God is. I believe that what it means uh, that, that they would glorify God is that they would come to faith in Christ. That they would come to faith in Christ. An unbeliever cannot glorify God unless they acknowledge Him as He truly is. The Creator and Savior worthy to be praised. So your good works, your testimony may result in persecution now but may also result in others coming to faith in Christ. In John, in chapter 12, Jesus, foretelling his death, speaks of being lifted up from the earth. Speaking of the cross. And he says this, he says in verse 35, John chapter 12, for a little while... Longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. See, the Essenes had a false profession. They weren't the sons of light. Sons of light would be those who believe the gospel message believe in Jesus as the Messiah because Jesus loves us to the fullest extent. Jesus loves us to the fullest extent and went all the way to the cross on our behalf and he wants us to believe. He came, he said, I have come, John twelve forty six. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. That's it. They will glorify God as 1 Peter 2.12 says, in the day of visitation, when Jesus returns, they will glorify him because they will be with him, those who believe. As we close, I just want to say, don't get the wrong idea here, please. Your good works won't save anyone. Your good works won't save you. It won't save your neighbor. 
It won't save your brother. It won't save your mother. Only Jesus saves. Good works are what you do that points people to Jesus. So live and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and allow God's spirit to bring people to faith. God knows those who will reject him and who will believe. It's not in our power to get people saved. But be active in sharing your faith in Christ and trust God with the results. It really, when it comes down to it, doesn't depend upon our, our methods our, or persuasiveness or even giftedness. It depends on God's sovereignty. But we are called to be faithful where God places us. Because God is glorified when people believe, when they are saved, and when they grow in Him. And when they reproduce as well. Shining the light in the, in the places that they go. So point people to mankind's only hope, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, who lived the perfect life, who went to the cross, who substituted himself for us, for all who would ever believe, who rose from the dead, who went back to heaven until his return. And if you know him, share this message. If you don't know him yet, what else is there for you to do but to repent and believe? And be saved. God is glorified when people come to faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we love you and, and we remember the words of Jesus. By this my Father is glorified if you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And Lord, that's our desire. Lord, may you be magnified. May we be diminished. Let me pray in Jesus' name. Amen.